Say It Skillfully is about being who you really are and saying what you think needs to be said, even at work. Whether you're part of a small project team or leading a giant company, the more you accept that you're part of the problem, the faster you can be part of the solution. Join Molly Chang today as together we break the silence and learn how to be happier, healthier, and more productive at work and in life. Hello, Molly here. Welcome to Say It Skillfully, helping you find the words to create shared reality in a way that's true to yourself. This is the 23rd episode of my monthly feature, Our Voices, an inside look into a life journey that may be quite different than yours. We'll discuss ways to accelerate social change that levels the playing field and helps everyone live to their full potential. I encourage you to listen with curiosity and without judgment to this account of what it means to grow up, go to school, struggle, work, and live in our world. For a first, we have a mother-son duo on the show. For many, a big part of parenting is helping your child gain a positive sense of self and opportunities to learn, grow, and create a meaningful life. Today, we'll hear one account of leaving their home country in Africa, traveling 6,000 some miles and planting roots in the U.S. We have a rock star mom, Nigerian born, studying physics and engineering and working across industries from banking and Bell Labs to venture capital and public sector regulatory and policy engagement for small business. She's managed over $1 billion in revenue. Having worked in Asia, Europe, Africa, Middle East, and North America, she also speaks globally and writes on a diverse set of topics from technology to women to entrepreneurship. Following these big footsteps, her 15-year-old son is a STEM innovator, Gen Z promoter and research intern with the MIT Media Lab Fluid, Fluid Interfaces Group. He's developed equitable machine learning diagnostic systems at Microsoft, studies neuroengineering at Harvard Mass General Hospital, and even has a startup that aims to provide a socially equitable alternative to big banks. He advises on sustainability and healthcare for leading food tech companies. Featured in Forbes and Yahoo News, he speaks with corporate leaders and writes as well, including his own monthly newsletter. We are in for a very big treat today. I am thrilled to welcome Ngazi and Okazwe Bell to our voices. Ngazi and Okazwe, thank you, thank you for making time to be with us. Hello, Molly. Thank you so much for having us on Save Skillfully Radio Show. I'm Gazabel, and I'm looking forward to our time together. Yeah, okay. thanks so much for having us. I'm Okazle Bell, and Gazibel's son, obviously. It's weird to say her full name out loud, um, but I'm just very happy to be on Our Voices. So thanks so much for having us. Well, it's really a treat and I'm, I'm already full of smiles. So I don't know what it's going to be like after we wrap the show, but you know, so the thing is, and we all know this, I rattled off way more than your fair share of quote unquote accomplishments. I know there's even more as listeners are aware, we are not our accomplishments. Um, it's the journey along the way, particularly the struggles that most define who we are and moves us to do what we do. So I'm really grateful for each of you sharing just what it's been like for you, you know, to grow up, to go to school, to navigate life across cultures and um, to be the people you are today. And I know a crazy way you're really on your way. So um, I'm, I'm so inspired by the power of our youth. Um, so I'll leave it to you. Share, share a bit of what it's been like for you. 
So I'll, I'll start. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So I was born in Enugu. That's where my journey started. Enugu is part of Eastern Nigeria. I was born in a college town, uh, the same college town where my parents, both my parents went to school at University of Nigeria, Anusoka. I was born during the Civil War. So you can go check a little bit about, about that. Uh, but you can imagine that that was a, a, a very turbulent and traumatic time, especially for my people, the Igbos. In, the, in that time. So this caused our family to move around uh, quite a bit in Eastern Nigeria. And then ultimately, um, I was a very sick child. Um, honestly, I was expected to die. Many rights, final rights were actually done for me, but I had a mother and a grandmother that were extremely faith-filled. And they believed that I was going to make it even in the most ridiculous of uh, circumstances, and I did, I'm here today. Uh, so I spent my early elementary years in Kano. Kano is part of Northern Nigeria. So Nigeria is a country of complex diversity, you know, 351 or so ethnic uh, groups and uh, over 500 languages, but the broad uh, division is what we call the North and the South, uh, the North being uh, more Islamic and then the South being more Christian. So I was born in the South, and then uh, had my my formative years in the north in Kano. So after that, um, I ended up coming back to Lagos. Uh, Lagos is the financial capital of Nigeria. Went to a primary school or, you know, what is called early elementary school, uh, which is called Grace Children and Adia Kodu. So shout out to my friends. We're still very good friends on WhatsApp. So I still maintain really good relationships with them. And then I ultimately went to a secondary school or uh, what you call here high school. But really, our secondary schools were the combo of the middle school and high school. So we called them colleges. Uh, I went to Queen's College. And Queen's College at that time was regarded as the most prestigious or the set these one half of the most prestigious uh couple of schools in the country and um you know so i'll give you a little example of that so in in qc as we called it for music you went to vienna for french you went to togo you went to Côte d'Ivoire, which is ivory coast and then you went to paris and, you know, during the summers, the kids would travel abroad and, and, and all that. You know, we had some wealthy, uh, a number of wealthy students, but a lot of middle class. But what was ironic about the school is that a lot of people came from parents who were very educated. So it just kind of gives you a snapshot of the kind of uh, secondary school I went to. And then after that, after finishing from Queens College, I went to a school uh, university called University of Portacot, which was in the South also. I studied physics and uh, down the road, I'll tell a little bit of of that story. So I studied physics, then ultimately came to the US and studied engineering. And one of the things that I, I remember, you know, you ask about the things that, you know, shape us. One of the things that really shaped me is, you know, like I said, I came from a very academic family, but my mother, a chemist herself, uh, I didn't get into medical school. Initially, I thought I was going to go do medicine. And in Nigeria, you had to do something called jamb and you had to make a certain cutoff. I didn't make that cutoff. So I had the choice of taking it again. Uh, it's, I think it was similar to the SAT, but was more specific. Uh, so I had the option of uh, taking it again uh, to try to get into medical school, for, make that cutoff. But I, I, my mother said to me, you know, I had the option of doing architecture or physics. She said, go and do physics. She herself had studied chemistry. And she said, study physics because as a woman, you're going to uh, 
have the opportunity to work in pioneering science if you want to. So having a strong basic science knowledge was uh, is crucial. And honestly, I'll tell you this, Molly, physics gave me engineering. Physics gave me um, AT&T Microelectronics and Bell Labs. Physics put me in the, you know, took me to the place where I could work for the first black president in America as an appointee. I really believe that that foundation that my parents gave me really changed my life and, and, and sort of created the foundation for who, um, uh, who I became. And then, um, you know, after that, I did go into venture capital and then ultimately uh, some of the work that I'm doing now so I'll let Okazwe introduce himself a little bit, and I'm hoping that in the dialogue I can, uh, you know, speak a little bit to uh, the rest of my journey. So Okazwe, do you want to talk about yourself a little bit? Yeah, for sure. I think my story is pretty similar to my mom's in the sense that um, science kind of gave her the grounding that catalyzed all of the other opportunities she got to experience. But for me, it all started here in Pennsylvania, of course, um, where my parents kind of settled um, after my mom came from Nigeria to the US to study engineering. And I'd say I had a pretty normal upbringing, you know, having ethnic parents, academics was always something that was kind of furthered in our household and something that was promoted in our household. I was the youngest of four siblings um, and four siblings who have been doing work in kind of academics, one of them's pursuing her um, pursue, has her MD actually and is now working in residency. The other one is working in the financial space and my brother, um, who is the one closest to me, is working in engineering and computer engineering, right? So academics has always been something that has kind of been revolving around me. And I think because of that, I naturally decided to gravitate towards it. It was something that I liked. And just given that my parents also kind of embodied it in their work and in their even in their work ethic, in a sense, um, it was something that has always been kind of ingrained in my character and in my identity. But I think it kind of all came out in middle school. Um, in sixth grade was when I first got my true exposure to kind of this idea of science and academia, because not many or not much of my immediate family had been doing stuff like working in a lab, for example. A lot of it was consumer technology or enterprise technology. And so I got to kind of experience this whole new thing. The only exception to that was with my sister who was doing some medical research, right? And so now in sixth grade, we're doing things like dissecting frogs and we're looking at the nervous system and we're kind of just expanding our world, our world beyond its borders, um, beyond its borders of what we can see, right? And a lot of times, all I had been doing was empirical. I'd been observing, I'd been looking around. And so I finally got this new exposure to science that took it a step further, a step beyond observation and natural hypothesization to actually looking at these systems and getting really excited about them. And that's also where I kind of found math. And math was the language that helped me to define scientific discovery and scientific understanding you know everything has a pattern everything has a proportion and that really excited me and that's when i started to realize that there are so many people working in this space so i don't need to be siloed to school my teachers are great my peers are great but if i really want to get into this i need to start talking to professors i need to start talking to people outside in the field who are really actively working on this research not only teaching and educating about it which by the way is super important but are also actively working on it in an in a laboratory environment or in an academic environment and so 
when I became of age to like have different accounts and like go on Zoom, Zoom presented a huge thing. So I was actually using Zoom even before COVID hit. Um, but of course I wasn't using it as often, but it was a great way to connect with people from around the world. Um, and so when I came of age to use those different tools, I was able to talk to professors, um, et cetera. And I talked to one who told me that people like me wouldn't last in something like math or computer science. And, you know, during the time I was kind of confused, you know, I didn't have that necessarily that social understanding to realize that this might've been, you know, prejudiced or racist comment, or maybe even just a comment on youth, maybe you saying that I was out of my league. I don't, I don't really know what the undertone behind it was, but ultimately it was a discouraging message that I received, right? But despite that, despite having really a sour kind of introduction into the real world of math and computer science, which I would say a lot of teenagers aren't even introduced to until they go to college, um, I really felt like I only had two choices. One was to prove him right by, you know, not pursuing a degree in this field, not doing anything in this field. And the other was kind of just going forward, not being fearful and taking a chance and doing whatever. And the way I saw it, I really didn't have anything to lose, right? So ultimately I'd say I chose the latter um, and not the former, right? So I decided to just go ahead and pursue these fields. I pursued what I found interesting. And I think that's one of the most amazing things about youth that I've kind of gotten to just naturally experience and learn is that they're not afraid of, of anything, right? And so ultimately I had these crazy experiences. My first cold email worked. I got to work with Perfect Day. It was added to their board with Leo DiCaprio and then founded their Gen Z council, which was just like mind blowing experience for me. And it really made me realize that this whole cold outreach thing gets you a lot. Um, and later on, I got to work in academia, as you mentioned, with like the MIT Media Lab um, and Harvard Medical School, and ultimately going on to actually be named one of 80 students as a research science institute scholar. So for six weeks over the summer, I'll get to actually be at MIT, conduct research, write a paper, do a final presentation, and all of that, take it to competitions, et cetera. Um, so it's really just been an amazing journey. Yeah. So I, I want to go back because I loved what Okizwe talked about, you know, um, linking parentage to what he's done. So I'll link a little bit of my own parentage because I think it sort of creates this picture because we're, we're many generations apart. I'm so much older than uh, Okizwe. So my father, for example, uh, had traveled to over 50% of all the countries in the, you know, in every continent, uh, literally, he was a history buff, he's a Bible scholar, and uh, he's, you know, he's been in uh, corporate Nigeria and also a politician, and honestly, from a memory perspective, he's literally near genius in the recollection of facts. My mother, like I mentioned, was a chemist. She had, uh, she was regarded as a scientist par excellence. She had written three of the chemistry textbooks that were used in uh, secondary school or high schools in West Africa. Uh, so we were a stable uh, middle-class family, not really wanting for much, but something really struck me. Uh, I, when I was growing up, my parents, my mother uh, is an only girl and she's also the youngest and she literally took in everyone. You know, there were people I thought were relatives who I found out later were not related to us. She had this responsibility to look after 
a whole host of people, people that were related, people that were unrelated. So I grew up in this environment with so many people, right? Uh, with this uh, um, sort of understanding that you had to, uh, you had to give, not, not even give back, because I think you know that word is used so so much and it means so many things to different people. But you had to, your life had to encompass so many. And you know, Molly, I want to tell you something because you talked about struggles. I recognize, and we'll talk about later, that I struggled with that because that was such a part of my life. Uh, there was just so much doing by my parents, so much given, uh, so much taken uh, by others. And even though we didn't lack anything, I did feel a sense of urgency about uh, you know, having the things uh, that I would need, making sure that those things were available. And as Okizu was talking, I was, you know, I was thinking about it and I was just contrasting it uh, with the way that we've tried to, uh, you know, uh, live our lives, right? Um, I also grew up in a time where Nigeria's economy was, you know, in that good to fair uh, time. So things were good. So uh, people were uh, doing quite well. Traveling was not a big deal. Coming to America was not, uh, an ambition that most people had. Um, uh, my parent, my mother, you know, Kesri said something about how, you know, you come from an immigrant family and it's all about academics. I'm going to tell you something that might shock you, Molly, is my parents uh, were not that um, aggressive about academics. I mean, perhaps for them, because they were, you know, they're quite brilliant. And I thank God that my siblings kind of got that brain. I was honestly, uh, I was not competitive. I was not, I did well in school, but I was not a competitive child. I was not constantly trying to be the best student. I honestly did not do any of that. I just worked hard when it was necessary. And my mother, we were never pushed. We were never uh, forced to do anything. Even in advising me for physics, she sat me down and logically explained to me uh, why I needed to do that. And yet, as a parent, I was a little bit more uh, academically aggressive uh, with my children in terms of making sure that they did this, making sure that, they did. and I'm hoping you'll see what I'm talking about, that sometimes we have a certain upbringing uh, and then the things we extract from that is not necessarily that we're like our parents. It's the things that maybe we worry about that we end up living out. So I, I just wanted to point that out because as Okazwe was talking, I, uh, you know, and I was thinking of uh, trauma. I, I didn't have any kind of trauma, but I might have had one, but it was because of this whole environment where there was just a lot of uh, giving and a lot of sharing and a lot of people coming and taking from us. And I, I recognize the way that I approached life was slightly different from the way that, uh, you know, I, I ended up uh, sort of raising my own family. So I just wanted to uh, to talk about that a little bit. So I, I appreciate that. And, you know, I've said this to friends, you know, parenting. I mean, what could be harder than raising children for a world you don't really know? So, so, you know, it's, it's yours is remarkable. I'd like to, I I would like to, to visit when you came to the States, was there a driver for you coming? Did the family come? Did you come for school? And, you know, when you land in a place, did you not a big deal for you? You're like, ah, travel to America. People can go to America, not a big deal. I could imagine people receiving you thinking it was a big deal. So I'm just wondering what that was like, you know, from a cultural social sense. 
Oh my gosh, that's such a great question. So, so I grew up with a lot of confidence, you know, on, on the edge of rude. I mean, I was a little bit <laughs> on the edge of rude, I'll be honest. Uh, so I was not the person that you would say something to and I would not have 10,000 responses. That was just how I was, right? I was really confident about myself, my color, because, you know, I grew up in, in a time when in Nigeria, we had a lot of um, uh, diversity, a lot of people, you know, white people, uh, Chinese, uh, especially Germans and all that who intermingled with our family. So I was not really that um, concerned about race relationships. And then I had traveled abroad too. However, America was different because America had this image in the time I grew up in Nigeria as being this place of perfection. It was just this weird expectation that this was a country where everything was fair. People were so good. Everybody was loving. That was what we got back. And honestly, it's so interesting when some of my friends talk about our view before we came here. So I came with a lot of excitement to this place that everything was uh, good and, and people really cared and Americans were the most loving people on the planet. Not sure how we got that, but that was the image we walked away from. That if you got in trouble, the American president will come look for you and send people to save you. You know, it's that kind of an imagination. So I came in with a lot of excitement. However, when I came here, I was uh, not overly shocked at first, because I was still around people who I was familiar with. But as my world expanded, you know, I really met some very interesting perspectives that was really hard to push back on. Uh, you know, I had people, you know, first of all, I had people who were so ignorant about Africa that they asked ridiculous questions like, was I naked? You know, and one, in fact, to the point where I would tell the story and some people believe me or at least they acted that they, like they believe me. I told them I came on a plane and I had no clothes on and the pilot ran out and put some sheets over me. And some people literally sat there and listened because I was kind of mocking and I thought they got it. But, you know, I had that extreme type uh, to people who um, were concerned for my ability to be able to uh, cope in the school, you know, cope in school. Now, uh, from a school perspective, in terms of uh, what I experienced, Nigeria is very uh, theoretical, at least when I went to school in Nigeria. So you learned a lot of depth and theory and all that kind of stuff. So because of that, you learned to learn. So learning was not difficult. However, we were not that exposed to uh, computers, right? Uh, leveraging uh, technology as much as uh, it was here. So for me, that was the learning curve, but getting into school, Performing in school honestly wasn't that difficult because I, I learned how to learn at home. In fact, I remember when people would get what was called a cheat sheet and they would have formulas on it. And I just could not do that. I learned my formulas from first principles and I would go into my exams and will take my exams and prove my exams if I needed to do a proof of formula and then use it. So it was a very interesting uh, type of um, exchange on culture. Um, the other thing I, I do want to say just about the uh, some of the culture shock uh, that I met was, um, you know, I told you I thought Americans were so wonderful. I found out <laughs> that uh, maybe not so wonderful, <laughs> at least not everybody. America is a wonderful country, and I met some amazing uh, people. But you know, uh, you know, I experienced this thing where people would be so curious about you that it it felt detrimental to you because it wasn't necessarily a curiosity to really know who you are. It was a curiosity to line up 
to line you up with what they already believed. I don't know if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah. They already had a perspective and they were so concerned about making sure. So when your life deviated from that, it was almost an annoyance. Like, no, why are you not? Did you walk 24 miles to go to school? No, I didn't. I went to a really good school. Did you, you know, so it was just really, so I got tired of telling those stories. I just stopped telling any stories. I stopped, you know, being even interested in having conversations because I felt, I experienced a lot of inauthenticity. Maybe that's a better way to say it. So, so I hope that answered your question. Oh, that does. And before we go to, um, okay, so I, uh, I, so I appreciate how objective, you're, you're sharing this and, and having the awareness and the insight and it's fabulous. I'm wondering at the time, you know, resentment, annoyance, how did you, I mean, in the moment be like, are you kidding me? <laughs> I mean, I'm seriously, how, how did you um, not let that get the better of you? I, I think honestly, that's why, you know, I've come to, uh, you know, again, I'm black, right? And, you know, most in terms of terminology, people say you're African-American. And when I think of um, African-Americans from the perspective of, of those who lived here, I sort of understand. Uh, and by the way, I did have uh, um, circumstances where even African-Americans were uncomfortable with the nature of my story you know, in some cases. So it was kind of, it was very interesting on both sides. But, but uh, you know, you ask a really good question. It was so baffling to me because I had lived a life that was pretty, a little bit of happy-go-lucky. I told you I was not the person who was just trying to bring down, break down the fort and compete with everybody. I was confident. I was pretty happy. So it, it, it was more of a cerebral um uh, sort of uh, uh, gymnastic of, are these people joking? Do they not read? Do they not understand? Because I came from a place where you had to read about America. You had to read about China. You read so much about every place. You researched so much about every place. And we were not even that technologically savvy, but I had to know history about every country. I knew all the civic stuff, who was the president, who was this, who was that. You knew so much stuff. I knew so much about American history. And I came here uh, you know, to a place where I had, I don't know how we formed this imagination of these amazing, smart people. And then I come and I meet people that are asking me questions that were stupendous. So for me, it was more of a cerebral, are they just joking or is this not America? It was more that than even being hurt. It was later, you know, as I got older and it started to affect things like work and stuff that maybe emotions got involved in. But honestly, for me, it was completely cerebral, you know, like things you would debate with friends, like this person asked me this craziest thing. Don't these people read, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, goodness. Unbelievable. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Okay. So over to you. Just, I, I'm curious what you're, what you're even thinking, hearing your, your, your mom's uh, experiences, although I, I'm sh sure you've talked about it before. Yeah, uh, she's told me some of these stories before, but some of them, like the one about how she would kind of make up a story. Um, I don't remember hearing that one. So I thought that one was pretty funny. Um, but but yeah, I think one of the biggest barriers to excellence that both of us have faced have just been like just generally people being ignorant or closed minded. Um, and I think one of the points she made about you not fitting the stereotype that they kind of want to smush you into um, makes people, I don't even know if it's angry, but just uncomfortable. Um, and that's something that I've 
seen and experienced to a certain extent, you know, being younger than my mom, I've had less breadth of experiences, but just in interacting with people, I've gotten kind of well acquainted, especially within like the STEM space of how, how people think, what people's common conception of someone who would be working in this industry are. And I understand now that I have to kind of compensate in some areas with with knowledge, with understanding, with an ability to delegate information simply, kind of just breaking down each of those kind of stereotypes that are fed forward so much um, in STEM. And that's been also part of my personal kind of mission that I've been pursuing aside from academic research is really trying to integrate the next generation into STEM and technology. So a lot of times what I like to do is host workshops, talk to youth, Um, Speaking at conferences is also a huge thing. Um, Like, for example, I gave um, both a speech on a panel and a uh, kind of a workshop at Web Summit this past year, um, which is considered one of the world's largest tech conferences. And there I not only talked about kind of ways we can implement biotechnology into human interfaces. So kind of mixing our human biology with technological interfaces. But I also talked about how we develop this ethically and responsibly so that it's implementable to a broad range of people and so that a larger diversity of people can actually access, use, and leverage this technology in a way that's effective. So kind of just hearing that, hearing my mom's story and kind of with mine, I think there are a lot of ways we can interlace them and a lot of ways that my mom's story has inspired and my dad's story too has inspired kind of my work and different things that I'm doing within industry. I think seeing that and understanding kind of the scope and the kind of scene of social issues that we have in the United States today has ultimately shaped the way in which I act. And I've had similar shocks, even in places like school or just around youth where the same ignorance is present because, you know, your environment influences you so much. So if you're hearing your parents say something, it's likely that you'll regurgitate that too. And you might say it to someone who could really be offended by it. So I've had similar, similar experiences and similar shocks, of course, not to the the same depth. And of course, sometimes just young people don't know what they're saying. They might throw something out there. Um, but it's, it's kind of just this exchange and this getting used to just being around people that I think is so important and understanding, um, how people might react to you. Um, so it's just been getting used to that environment and also, you know, with the help of my mom, really getting acquainted in talking to a variety of people, especially adults. Yeah, I, I'm, 15 years old, I'm just blown away with one, how <laughs> articulate, articulate you are. I'm, I'm literally stammering as we, as we do this. So let's talk about dad, because you we were hearing about the, the mom's influence, but share with us, you know, are you more like your mom or your dad? And what are some of the things that your dad uh, has guided you on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my dad's an engineer. Um, he's pretty much stayed in engineering since I'd say he's been out of college, which is something that I personally like is like his level of consistency. But I think I draw from both my mom and my dad in the sense that my dad is very good at what he does and he continues to do that thing where my mom is also very good at what she does, but she also likes to diversify. So I think I've gotten a bit of both where I have this core thing that I really like and am passionate about, but then I'm also not afraid to put myself out there in a variety of dimensions. Um, So for example, my mom did her fashion design, she did venture capital, but my dad has really stuck with the semiconductor industry. He's been working in it. He does regional sales management, um, things of that nature. 
And so I think I've gotten that from my dad too, especially his work with hardware, um, because he used to have these, or he still has them. He has these Raspberry Pis. He has a bunch of different, um, like different microcontrollers and ESD bags in his office. And I've always been like tinkering with those things, kind of getting used to them. My first project was with the Arduino. So I think my dad has just generally inspired me as someone who is stable, someone who's very grounded. And then mixing that with my mom's kind of versatility, I've been able to not only find something that I'm truly passionate about and be content with that thing, but also continuing to find different spaces that I'm passionate about, never being afraid to start new ventures or venture out and grow my breath as well as depth. Um, so I think that's something that I've gotten from both of my parents. And it's been really, really helpful in terms of just balancing being a student with being someone who does research with being who's with being someone who presents at conferences and things like that. Being a student also encompasses all of my school like extracurriculars, right? So there are a lot of dimensions to each aspect of myself. And I attribute my ability to kind of manage all of them well, um, in part to my dad, who has been kind of this very stable and intellectually minded person. And the nice thing is that he knows his stuff. So if I ever have any questions about kind of working with these technologies, I can, of course, go to my dad. But I can't discount my mom, who has also helped me through countless um, science fairs when I was younger as well. So it's just been like it's really been a mixture of both that has kind of helped me along the way. Uh, it's so incredible. Okay. So the, you're the youngest, you're the little brother. What do your older siblings think of you and talk about your relationship with them? Yeah, for sure. So I'm the youngest of four, um, me being the fourth, of course. Uh, so I don't know. My friends have said that I give off only child vibes at times, which I don't know how, I don't know what that means or if that's a, a, a positive thing or a negative thing, given that it's my friends, it might be a negative thing. Uh, but Honestly, I think my siblings are, are great. I've gotten a lot of support from them, especially my brother who's closest to me. So I'd say I'm like really the, I'm really the younger brother to my brother the most. Uh, and then almost like an acquaintance to my sisters uh, because I, I, they're gone most of the time. So when they come over or come to our house, it's like, it's a lot more fun to see them. Whereas with my brother, you know, I've been seeing him all my life. So it, it's not really a jump up and down thing when he comes back, but it's really that, brotherly bond that we do have and the where he's always constantly trying to help me like sometimes he'll just randomly send me links of people to inspire me or show me like hey if you continue to do a dual enrollment and ap's like you can skip this in college and you'll save this money and then you can get this phd faster even one time he's like so into sharing all of these tips and tools with me that one time he shared me this crazy LinkedIn profile of this guy who said he was completing his PhD in like three years and he had done dual enrollment in quantum physics and high school. And I was just like, and I found out that this guy wasn't even a real person. And my brother had no idea that this guy wasn't a real person. He was so excited. And even after hearing that he wasn't actually a real person, that my brother had just been tricked by some random LinkedIn profile, he goes, imagine if his resume was yours. So in spite of the guy not existing, my brother still believes in me to the point where he thinks that I could accomplish something that someone had to create a fake profile for, which is honestly pretty inspiring for me. But I also think it's just really funny that no matter the circumstance, he's always kind of seeing me in a light where he can kind of help or provide his insight, um, which is always really great. Um, and then, of course, with my my sisters, as I mentioned, it's kind of a more of a fun relationship with them. But especially my younger, older sister, she's like 
very motherly towards me at times. Like a lot of times she's trying to understand all of the different things I'm doing, trying to like map them out. Like one time she was asking me, so like, what's RSI? What's the summer program? Is that the same as this competition that you're doing? Is it DECA? She was just trying to get acquainted with each of the different things, which I found to be so funny. Um, so she's really kind of, I don't know, growing into her own of role of being an older sister, um, despite being much older than me. I'm talking like I'm older than them. But but yeah, I'd say my relationship with my siblings is is kind of different with different respects. But ultimately, it's kind of helped me to grow to be the person I am. And it's also provided me with the necessary support system um, to know about these different opportunities, things that I can take advantage of and ultimately things that I can do better because they were all high schoolers and students at a point. But you seem so grounded. And so what has been hard for you, if anything, like where have you struggled? I just, I marvel at your lightness and then, mm-hmm. and also just, but the bigness of what you're doing and you just seem so nonchalant about it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think the main point of struggle has been like, making sure that first I'm balanced. I think that's always something that's very difficult for any teenager is kind of striking a good balance, you know, not being sleep deprived all the time, which I've yet to kind of figure out the secret of doing. Um, uh, And then also kind of just making sure that you have the best possible support system around you, kind of all of those natural teenager human things that you kind of need to get forward through have been the biggest struggles. And ultimately, I think just given my general disposition of trying to be someone who is kind of like nonchalant, as you mentioned, and also just someone who is like not always trying to take everything too seriously, but is still quite competitive, I'd say, which I apparently don't get from my mom. Um, But yeah, I think I think in that I kind of have faced these struggles, but at the same time, I kind of use them as just like opportunities or places in which I can grow, which is why they don't feel so much as struggles as they do learning opportunities. And that's something that I kind of try and do is like, if I don't get something or something doesn't work, it's ultimately can be viewed as a learning opportunity rather than as a deficit or a failure or something of that nature. Um, So that's not to say that there aren't any times where I'm like sometimes disappointed with something or like not happy. Um, But ultimately I'd say most of my my most annoying and biggest struggles have been like technical ones. Like for example, uh, an MVP not working, or it's just like difficult to coordinate a team, things like that. Um, I think that those have been the things that get me frustrated the most because in terms of life, I try to generally keep it as, you know, I'm still young. I still have time to develop. Um, so I have this like slate that's in front of me, might as well fill it up with as many amazing things as possible and see where it takes me. Um, and with that kind of go with the flow, which I'd say is similar to my mom's upbringing, I've been able to remain calm, remain at ease and really not take my struggles too harshly or too seriously. Oh my gosh. I, listeners. Okay. Learning opportunities versus deficits, looking at them <laughs> as the upside. I love it. You mentioned coordinating teams as potentially being a frustrating thing. Say a little bit more, given the projects you've been doing, what is frustrating about coordinating teams? Yeah, so my mom has a lot of insight on this one uh, because she's been helping me through. Um, so I started that startup, as you mentioned, Equitable Banking with Fidutom. It was so difficult because we had to coordinate a variety of people across like halfway across the country, 
some people are in PST, some people are in IST, some people are in GMT. I don't even know what those time zones are. Um, so it just becomes really difficult. Even if you have like a universal clock, it's like so hard to be able to coordinate a bunch of different people who are across the world, which I commend all of the youth organizations that I'm working with for being able to do that and have like a thousand plus kids who are on their thing, um, on their kind of organizations. It's just amazing. But but yeah, that's like the main struggle is the first is the timing. The second is really building a culture of people who kind of want to work with you and are passionate about it. A lot of times you might find someone who's outstanding, but the only difficulty is that they might want to join your thing because, you know, high schoolers, especially ones who are very good, they're quite ambitious and they're also calculated. So if they're joining something, it might not always be out of passion. So it might be difficult to kind of inspire them to actually want to work on something rather than it just being kind of another chip that they've collected in their impressive high school career. Um, so that's been another thing is really motivating people, helping people. Um, and then ultimately it's delivering a message that is helpful to people and also being well-rounded and understanding enough to kind of get acquainted with a variety of youth. There's so many different types of people and it's so hard to kind of interact with all of them. And also, you know, I'd say I'm like slightly introverted. So networking does get like kind of tiring at times, um, though, I don't know, I think I turn on like a new part of my brain whenever I'm networking, um, because I'm naturally introverted. But when it comes to kind of talking to people in the industry, I can be very excited. So I think it all just depends. But ultimately, interacting with a variety of people can get difficult. Um, and it can get very tiring to kind of have to shift your mold and shift your character in order to kind of better usher those people in and make them feel comfortable. Um, so that's another thing. So I think it's like, it's a really holistic process kind of gathering people, especially young people who are trying to figure themselves out as you are. So it's just like very difficult to coordinate that as well. Um, but ultimately when I'm like talking to you through hosting workshops or things of that nature, um, I think the biggest thing I can do is just share a story that is authentic and true and with a variety of people being there they can latch onto that story in a variety of ways and they can they can identify with that story in so many different manners and so many different ways and i think allowing people to kind of just experience what you're saying in their own light is ultimately the best thing that you can do because there's just no possible way that you'll be able to assimilate for each and every person so ultimately you'll just have to let them kind of do that for themselves and see where it goes. I think there's a lot of go through, go with the flow um, that's been said across both my mom's story and mine. But I think ultimately that's sometimes the best kind of tactic that you can fall on is just to go with what works and then tweak over time. Uh, the wisdom of youth on fire <laughs> here today, folks, I can't get over it. Let me just share from a fellow introvert. And I think about this. Uh, okay. So I, as deriving my energy from within mm -hmm. versus externally. I don't think about it as an index of social ability because I can be very social and I like people. For me, yeah. it is it takes work and I can do it for a bit. I, mm -hmm. I talk about my sister. She comes back in after going, oh, let's go back out. I'm like, nope, let's not <laughs> go back out. <laughs> We're out already. I'm lying on the floor looking at the ceiling. I'm good. And so yeah. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's about the self-care that you need for you. Um, yeah. I love it. You're, you're, uh, you're just the brightest of lights. So Ngazi, share, you know, this, I'm curious about the business journey and I know we're approaching on time, but maybe just a little bit about, you know, what you see, what you've experienced and how we can better embrace the diversity that we have in organizations. 
Okay, that's that's great. So, uh, so my business career started. You know, I, every time a kids we talk, so we, when we talk, I learn something and then I find synergy because he's done a lot of cold calls to sort of uh, you know create this ecosystem that he has been able to embrace. So, me, you know, I started my career in an America in a an environmental consulting engineering company in Florida. And, you know, we had to move back to the Lehigh Valley, which is where we are here now. And uh, the options that were open, or at least the option I was interested in was the almighty, you know, Bell Labs, you know, AT&T Microelectronics Bell Labs. And at that point, it was so prestigious and it was almost like you had to have a, a type of card to get into Bell Labs. And what I did is I called all the senior managers and I told them about myself, you know, uh, my husband was already working there and it was so difficult for my resume to get anywhere. So I, I called them myself and I told them about myself. I said, look, I'm a hardworking young person who probably doesn't have the experience uh, that you're looking for. And I said something like, how do you get experience? You get experience through opportunity. I can almost remember the whole message. I called a whole bunch of them. And I said, I promise you, if you give me the opportunity, I will be the hardest and one of the best workers you ever had. And I think it intrigued a bunch of vice presidents and lab directors. And I got this interview at the most senior levels. It was incredible. The lab director literally brought me in and took me from place to place for these interviews. Uh, suffice it to say, I got into uh, AT&T Microelectronics Bell Labs, and I, I believe I was probably one of the most, uh, you know, at least one of the most hardworking people they had ever seen. I worked really hard. And that started to create a type of career path. That's when my competitive uh, nature that was probably always there came to the surface. And, you know, through that, you know, my career sort of uh, went through all kinds of uh, opportunities and upward mobility. So I went from really core engineering, but I had really good mentors and we might not have time to talk about that. So that's one thing I have to say is I was in an environment that was mostly white male and, and a lot of them older, but because of my work ethics, I think some of them, even if it was maybe it was tokenized or for whatever reason, I ended up with a really amazing mentorship, which I was able to leverage. And um, it taught me a lot about America too. And, you know, you talk about career and diversity. I, you know, I sort of saw myself when I looked back as, um, you know, I got to become, you know, I got to run a really fabulous um, uh, a strategic business unit. I got some really important jobs. I was promoted. It, you know, it took a, a, a bit of a while and a lot of hard work and stuff like that. Uh, but what was interesting was I ended up becoming one of the very few females in this rarefied space. And certainly in some cases, the only black person in this rarefied space. And, you know, it's easy to get there and sort of be content. It's easy to get there and sort of feel different because people made you feel like it was special. You were different. It was something about you. And I remember having this conversation <clears throat> with a, a senior vice president and you know, by diversity and, and he, he, you know, because they always looked at me, you're so smart, you're so this, you're so that. And I was used for all kinds of things. At a point I was in the company's uh, uh, mascot where they were looking for models and they used me and one other guy to model all our books and our stuff. So I had a big billboard and all that kind of stuff. And I said to them, I said, you know what is so interesting? I didn't go to MIT. I didn't go to, you know, some of the Stanford and all that. So I know beyond a, a dash shadow for that, that I'm not the only smart 
person of color. I know that. I know there are people who are super smart. So what is wrong with this picture? And, you know, how is it? And I'm not saying I was the only black, but I'm saying it was very few, very small, maybe one. You couldn't even find yourselves at that point. And, and I said to them, they were like, oh, we can't find resumes. And that was when my career pivoted. I decided that it was necessary for me not just to be that person that was reaping those benefits, but to go out and start to engage um, our management because I had audience, I had, uh, you know, I had a platform, I had an opportunity, I had people who respected me, I made a lot of money for the company at that time. And so I started that journey. But I'm going to tell you, Molly, there's a cost to that because I personally believe because I was on this trajectory and, and I'm not boasting. I honestly could have been a CEO of a major company. And I'm talking Fortune 100, Fortune 500 because of the trajectory of my career at that time. You know, I was female. I was hardworking. I had all the accolades. I was on the leadership potential pool, people who were looked at as, you know, going to be some of the top industry people. I had opportunities who were calling me in different places. And that's some of the career mistakes I made you know, staying in one place for too long. I had jobs in California and I would take more money and stay back and all that kind of, uh, it, you know, those are some of the errors I feel I made in my career. But the one thing I do want to talk about, because you talk about diversity is that um, when I started this job of trying to now become more socially conscious, there was a cost to it because suddenly you became a little bit less attractive and, you, you know, uh, the things that were there for you became a little bit uh, more rare because I think people were concerned that now you're going to, uh, you know, you're not letting yourself go through it. You're trying to create this whole, uh, you know, turbulence around what has always been. And for me, those were things that were eye openers that I didn't completely understand now. In, um, and at that point, I had become very competitive. I knew how to navigate things, but I had to stop that and make a decision to go down a path to be helpful to other people. Now, could I have done it differently? You know, hindsight, honestly, I wish I had done it a little bit differently and maybe done some other things, uh, maybe for myself at that point. Uh, but I learned a lot about uh, just about diversity, that diversity was not necessarily what people were looking for. They just wanted a diverse person. And um, then later in my career, I learned more about diversity. That diversity was really about, uh, you know, uh, let's get in a number of white women. Let's get in one black person. Uh, let's get in a couple of um, Asians in roles that are not necessarily just technical. And then we're good. So it, it meant very specific things that I didn't initially understand. I thought, I thought diversity was this authentic response to our community, it was this desire to say, hey, there are many of us, look at this person, she's smart, she works hard, therefore they're more like her, let's go embrace that. But I, you know, I didn't understand the depth of which what that really meant. Uh, from a corporate standpoint, what it meant to people. And it, it was a journey that was, uh, uh, you know, somewhat bittersweet, right? Yeah. Uh, I think had I learned it properly, I probably could have navigated myself just a little bit differently, but just thought I'd share that. Uh, I am so grateful for your being so open and, and seeing it for what it is and being able to articulate it. And we will come back to this 
in a future show, because I think this is something that will be really great to unpack. Um, so we, we will have to have part two of this, like for sure. For us to close, what I love, uh, what I would really love is first, uh, okay, Zway, what is the one thing you most appreciate about your dear mother? Hmm, that's a good question. I think there are a lot of things, but if I had to choose one, I would say that it's that her scope, her mindset isn't very narrow. She's not, um, she's not closed minded. She doesn't, she's not myopic, I think is the biggest thing. She's has this broadened view of the world. She's been in so many different industries. And so when I'm a 15, 14 year old wanting to do X, Y, and Z at Harvard, Stanford, and MIT, <laughs> that kind of rhymes. It's funny. Um, she was never like, She's never like, oh, let's start small. Let's start simple. She kind of just lets me kind of blossom and do what I want to do. And also, but within reason, right? She still makes sure that I'm grounded, that I'm doing my schoolwork, that I'm still a student um, and that I have my fundamentals. But ultimately, she's not afraid of this whole idea of a young person trying to work in a Fortune 500 company, a young person working with X large company. And I think when you see a lot of youth that are doing amazing things around the world. That's one of the biggest things that they cite about their parents too, is that their parents were never closed-minded or doubtful of what they could accomplish, even from the very beginning when the person had very lofty or difficult to achieve or attain goals. And so ultimately that's something that I'm really grateful for is that I have parents who have not only worked in industry, but are also um, willing to allow me to take chances as well, which I think is super important and has ultimately allowed me to kind of grow into the things that I've been doing and also have these opportunities. Yeah. Sky is the limit way to go mama and papa. I love, <laughs> love, love it. Okay. Over to you, mama. What do you most appreciate about this? Just unbelievable son you have. Okay. So it's empathetic. You know, it's, I know it's, it's a very simple thing, but it's so deep. Okizu can tell when someone is hurt and he cares. You know, he's, he's just, he's, he's this beautiful normalcy that warms my soul. You know, he loves music and he'll work hard at it. He loves uh, um, um, chess and he'll work hard at it. So he likes a, an eclectic mix of things. So it's not just, oh, I'm trying to be the best at this. He really enjoys the word world for what it is, but also he's extremely empathetic. He cares about people. He's responsible to people. He's responsible to the environment. You know, if, if I'm not doing well and I'm not talking and I'm, you might not notice, but he'll notice and he'll come sit next to me and say, okay, mom, what is it? And it's not just me. So I love that about him, that he is, he's human. You know, it's, it's so simple, but it's so important. Ugh, you guys are just making me cry. It's like the best ever. Okay. Just in a line. Okay. Zway, what was it like for you to share parts of your journey today? Um, I think it was, it was fun. It was very, very interesting. I don't talk so much about myself um, typically on like podcast conference, any speaking engagement. So it was really, really fun to be able to kind of share more of my story and less of like research oriented stuff, because, you know, especially when you're talking about that type of stuff, there are a lot of longer words that you have to use and your throat gets very dry. So I was 
appreciative um, that I was able to speak without feeling like I was about to choke um, and also kind of share my my story holistically was very, very fun and interesting. You know, I was able to like start from the beginning and kind of come to now. So it was just a full circle reflection, which I hadn't done previously or or really at all much. So it was just very, very exciting. And also getting to hear like new parts of my mom's story was also funny too. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. And Gazi? Uh, for me, this was wonderful. First of all, I want to say you have an amazing radio voice. So <laughs> just know that. So just the way you ask questions, very steady. But I enjoyed sharing this with Okazu. He's absolutely right. You know, we've done a few things together, but he's always somewhat technical or topical or something. But just kind of talk about the stories, listen to him. And then I, I saw synergies and I was like, oh my gosh, you know, he, he does all these cool calls, which I know. And I was like, that's kind of how I started my own career too. So thank you so much for this opportunity. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And it was just nice to have this casual convo with my son. Thank you. Well, thank you. Um, each of you, both of you inspire the the huge hearts you have as I have the biggest smile. You've helped us gain uh, just a glimpse into your journeys, better understand where you're coming from and the hope. Um, is what I'm really just getting from you. And so much upside for people to be real, uh, to seize the opportunity, to make the opportunities and to shape a, a better and a kinder world. So I'm cheering for you in the biggest way. What a privilege to host you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, you were clearly part of the solution and helping all be safe, seen and heard and are uh, really our true and, and very best self. So thank you, thank you for joining us. You take good care. Thank, thank you. you so much. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oh my God, we want to go on forever. Okay, folks, my thought for the week, thank you to this amazing mother and son duo. Go with the flow. And that's a wrap, folks. Thank you for tuning in. Please be part of the solution and kindly share this show. Amplify the voices of Ngazi and Okazwe. Reflect on your top takeaways and know I am cheering for you to be who you are and say what needs to be said so that you and those around you have a shared reality, essential to make the best decisions, execute with speed and achieve outstanding outcomes at work and in life. Thanks for listening to Say It Skillfully with host Molly Chang. Join us again for more ways to say it skillfully next Tuesday, 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Molly on LinkedIn and Twitter. Check out sayitskillfully.com and sign up so you don't miss her latest 90-second video. And please, be part of the solution. Kindly tell others about this program so they say it skillfully too.